Welcome to the Center Ranch Church Weekly Podcast. We believe that faith comes by hearing the Word of God. Thanks so much for checking out the podcast. Here's this week's message. Father, we love you. We thank you for this time together. God, I thank you we get to start a brand new year, a brand new series. I thank you for each person that's here. And I ask that you bless us this morning with eyes to see, bless us with ears to hear, spirit of revelation and understanding so we can know you more, Lord. We love you. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're starting the year with prayer and fasting, and we're going to start it also with a series that we're calling Ask, and we're going to be talking about prayer, which for most people is not a foreign concept. You get the basic idea of what prayer is, but not a lot of people have actually taken time to intentionally learn how to become more effective in their prayer life, and the Bible gives us instruction on how we can grow, how we can become better when it comes to to praying. So I don't know if you've ever learned how to pray, but that's what we're going to do over these next next couple of weeks. We're going to grow at it. I remember as a kid, if you grew up like me, there were people that would teach teach us little prayers to help us learn how to pray, little rhyming things to help at bedtime or to help at, at dinner time. Anyone know what I'm talking about? Those kinds of little things for kids to say. I uh, wrote one of them down that says, "Thank you for the world so sweet." This is for kids to be able to remember, and I had to write it down. Thank you for the world so sweet. Thank you for the food we eat. Thank you for the birds that sing. Thank you, God, for everything. Right? You ever learn a prayer like that? Mealtime? There was one that we learned that was something like over the, over the teeth and past the gums. Look out stomach. Here it comes. I remember that one. Look out stomach. Here it comes. You know, bless us through to our bodies. Those, kind, those kinds of prayers. I don't know if you were ever taught. Someone's trying to teach you. I know, I know kids need to learn how to pray, so let's make up some little weird poem and teach them. That can start, start their prayer life. There was one that we learned at bedtime that maybe you, you heard this one before. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. Anyone ever learned that one? I don't know what the intentions were of the person who wrote that prayer. Maybe they had good intentions. But if the idea was to comfort children as they're about to go to sleep, it didn't work for me. Maybe it worked for some people. I remember hearing that, just settling in my bed. I, I can picture it. I'm like three years old in a, my, a bunk bed with my brother and hearing that prayer, I, I felt pretty peaceful before the prayer. If I should die before I wake. What? Why are we talking about dying? I, death was nowhere on my radar. I was okay up until, up until that prayer. If I should die before, I had even considered the possibility. I didn't even know that was a thing. Now I'm supposed to be gaining peace by tell, mentioning it in prayer. I didn't like that prayer. And then I pray the Lord my, my soul to take. I didn't like that either. I, I get the idea of it. But it conjured up this image of this soul-snatching God that was going to come. And if I let my guard down for a minute, he's going to snatch my, my soul away. So I, I didn't like that prayer. If that ministered to you, I'm sorry. But for me, that, that, prayer, that prayer was creepy as, I don't know. I, I didn't like that prayer. But there are ways for us to learn to pray 
apart from weird little children's poems and, and creepy things that, that freak children out, the Bible takes time to teach us how to pray. And it matters how we pray. If prayer was just, you know, anything goes and you can just say whatever you want and that was effective, then Jesus wouldn't have set aside time to teach his disciples and to teach us, here is the way that you should pray. If there, if there, if there was no way to be effective, then he wouldn't have done that. He could have just said, you know what, just, just pray. That's the main thing. No, but he didn't. He took time. Prayer is given to us as something to build intimacy with the Lord, to build our relationship with God, and also to bring about very real results in our lives. Prayer is to be something powerful that we can see stuff around us changing as a direct result to what's happening in our prayer life. Let me read to you from James chapter 5, verse 16. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. The earnest prayer of a righteous person. If you know Jesus, then that's you. That's me. Because of Jesus, we're the righteousness of God in, in Christ. It's what the Bible says. So our earnest prayer, the Bible says, has great power. They're, they're powerful. They access the power of God. And it says that it produces something. There should be a product of your prayer. It produces wonderful results. So the result of your prayer Praying is not just supposed to be a filled up time log where you got your day off to a half hour late start due to your prayer time. That's not the only result you should have. You should have results that are wonderful, things that you can point to in your life and you can trace it back to your time in prayer that produce that wonderful result. That things in your marriage are wonderful. Things in your career are wonderful. Things in your health are wonderful. The, the environment in your household is wonderful. Wonderful results as a direct result of what? spending earnest time in prayer. That's why God gave us this ability to come to him, to talk to him, wonderful results in your relationship with him. Not where you're just going on in religious drudgery, but where you're learning to hear his voice. You're learning his will. You're being molded and shaped and more and more like Jesus. That, that is a wonderful result. How do these wonderful results come? Through people spending time engaging with God in prayer. And there's a way to learn how to do it. For some people, that's not a good description of their prayer life and that's why they don't have much of a prayer life because they, they don't see I, I don't see wonderful results I don't see anything that, that looks like great power because there, there's a way that we're supposed to pray turn back a couple pages to James chapter 4 while you're on your way there let me read the next verse from James chapter 5 verse 17 he gives us an example Elijah Elijah was as human as we are and yet when he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall, none fell for three and a half years. Then when he prayed again, the sky sent down rain and the earth began to yield crops. That's an amazing example for him to give us. He gives us a specific example of Elijah from the Old Testament. And he tells us, yes, Elijah was a prophet, but ultimately he was as human as you and I are. He, he was just a guy. He was just a guy who walked with God and he made use of the very thing that you and I have to make use of going to God in prayer. And it says when he prayed that it wouldn't rain, you know what happened? The sky closed and it didn't rain for three and a half years, which lets us know through the power of prayer by accessing the power of God and going to prayer that you can bring a stop to things that you need to have stopped in your life. Things that have carried on too long in your life, things that have drifted on and it just feels like that's the way life is. You can bring an end to that depression 
that strife in your household, whatever it is that just seems like it's brought a fog to your life, you, you don't have to put up with that forever. You can end it, how? Through the power of prayer. You can put an end to things that need to end. You can also bring a beginning to things that need to get started in your life. He told it to stop reigning through the power of prayer. He also caused it to begin reigning through the power of prayer. So things that you need to have a start of in your life. God, I need, I need to see favor in my life. I need some opportunities in my life. I need some doors to open. You can bring those things about through the power of God by going to him in prayer. Prayer, prayer is powerful. It's wonderful. There are wonderful results. You can stop things. You can start things. You can see things change around you. You can grow in your walk with God through the power of prayer. That's why it's important for us to invest time. How, how do I make the best use of prayer? James chapter four, starting in verse one, says, where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desire for pleasure that war in your members? You lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. This, this is huge. He's talking about war and murder, and fights, and strife, arguments, contentions among people. And he traces all those things back to what? A lack of prayer. All those things ultimately, all, all of the warring and fighting and frustration that people have, he says that it's all happening ultimately because you want something, but you're going about it the wrong way. You, you have not, you don't have it because you're not asking, you're not going to God in prayer. So one of the problems when it comes to prayer is that people simply don't pray. There's a lack of prayer. People aren't making use of prayer. God wants to see wonderful results come about. But when we don't engage in prayer, we squander those things. We forfeit the benefits, the things, again, that he wants to start, that he wants to stop, that he wants to develop, that he wants to grow, that he wants to advance. We forfeit that when we don't make use of going to God in prayer, in Matthew chapter seven, verse seven, Jesus said this, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find, knock and it will be opened to you. Ask, ask and it will be given to you. That we are given as a direct result of what? Of asking. Asking is what produces or opens the door for God to give. There are things that God wants you to have blessings that he has for you, provision that he has for you. He doesn't force it upon you. He waits for you to ask. Ask and it will be given. So that lets us know if you don't ask, what won't happen? Don't ask and it won't be given. You're gonna miss out. Your family will go without. The joy, the peace, whatever it is that you're lacking. A failure to ask, you're gonna fail to receive as well. So much of the church does not pray and make use of this avenue of coming to God. You have not because you ask not. And when your prayer life is under attack, you've got to understand you are under attack. Most people don't think of their prayer life as coming under attack, but when you think back over the last week, think back over the last month, think back over the last year, what did your prayer life look like? 
How often did you have time where you just shut yourself away with the Lord? You closed yourself in your room and said, I'm to be left alone for the next hour. I'm going to be waiting on the Lord. I'm casting my cares on the Lord. How often do you start your day with special time set apart just to seek to seek the Lord? A lot of people will say, well, it's, it's few and far between. It's not where it should be. Uh, my prayer life could always be better. And they don't understand. They think it's just, I'm too busy. I haven't prioritized it. Who can actually do that? They don't realize that they're actually under attack by the enemy. Their prayer life is under attack. And one of the most effective ways to attack people is to attack them and have them not understand that they're really under attack. And that's what the devil does. It's a sneak attack. Your prayer life may very well be under attack by the devil and you don't even realize it. You just chalk it up to the busyness of life and I just don't have have time. Yeah, I need a schedule. But You can spend your whole life saying, yeah, I really need to pray more. I really need to pray more. And Day by day, month by month, year after year, you can spend your entire life consistently squandering the benefits of what God wants to do in you and through you by a failure to pray, not really realizing it's been a strategy of the enemy to keep you preoccupied and making excuses for yourself your entire life. When your prayer life is under attack, you are under serious attack. The enemy is robbing from you, stealing from you, depriving you, holding you down, keeping you from growing in your walk with the Lord, making your walk with the Lord seem like just a dry, empty drudgery. It's under attack and there's something you can do about it. You have not because you ask not. Realize, wake up and realize the enemy's been attacking me, holding me back. And I've considered other things. I've got to spend time engaging with God in prayer. We're going to learn how to do that. You have not because you ask not. And then the next verse in verse three says, and when you do ask, you don't receive because you ask amiss. You don't ask the right way. So there's one issue that people don't pray. A second issue is that when people pray, they don't pray properly. They don't pray the right way, which for some, that might be even a a crazy concept that you can pray wrong. But the kingdom of God operates on principles. There's a way that it functions. There, There are laws, principles that govern how things work in the kingdom of God. Very similar to how things work in nature. We can learn how things work in nature, that they run parallel to one another. In, in nature, there are certain laws of nature, certain principles for things to work scientifically that have to be adhered to. Same way when it comes to spiritual principles. So in nature, let's say that I wanted to grow an apple tree. That was my desire. That was the goal. I want to grow an apple tree. What, what would I need? What would be essential? What would be vital? I, I would need an apple seed, Right? that that would be necessary. I've got to have an apple seed if I want to grow an apple tree. It's important. I've got to have it. But just having that apple seed alone doesn't guarantee that I'm going to see that apple tree. I've got to handle, as essential as it is, I still have to handle it consistent with certain laws and certain principles. Otherwise, it might never produce anything. It doesn't matter how important it is or how much potential it has. I still have to handle it in line with the principles and the laws of nature. If I take, if I take that seed and I put it in my freezer at home or I put it in the trunk of my car or just carry it around in my pocket and that's where I plant it, then it, it'll never produce anything because there are certain laws and principle. It's not, it's not just that it's that important. I've also got to adhere to the principles of nature to see it bring forth the potential that it has. It's the same way when it comes to prayer. It's, people have gotten by just saying, prayer, man, prayer is so important. Prayer is really important. Yes, it is. But you still got to adhere to certain laws and principles to see it, to see it be effective. In the kingdom of God, it's not just anything goes. 
Look at the story of Cain and Abel in Genesis. Both of those men, both of those boys brought sacrifices to the Lord. And a lot of times we'll manipulate grace. God is gracious and kind and merciful, absolutely. But sometimes we extend that further than really what it goes. A lot of the church would say as long as they brought sacrifices, hey, that, that God understands, he sees your heart, and he, he, he just appreciates any effort on your behalf. That's not how the Bible reads. It says that on Abel's sacrifice, God accepted, and Cain's was rejected. Because one brought that sacrifice in line with how things work in the kingdom of God, and the other didn't. And the same thing is true with prayer. You can't just go about it any old way. Otherwise, when Jesus was asked, teach us to pray, he would have said, you know, just just pray. I mean, anything goes as long as you're praying. And that's, that's, that's what God's really after. But that's not what he said. He began to give specific details about how to pray and how, how not to pray. What the enemy loves to do is take something that God has intended to be a blessing to you and strip away the principles that go along with that gift and turn that blessing into a frustration and make God seem unfaithful. Take some, God, God's designed things to be a blessing to you, but you've got to use them and appreciate them in line with God's word. And if the enemy can get you to think, I'll just take God's blessing and handle it any way that I want, then it takes that blessing into something that becomes not a joy, it becomes a disappointment and a frustration. Marriage is a good example of this. God created marriage to be a blessing saw the man was alone in paradise, but he said, we can do even better than this. It's not good that man's alone. I'm gonna make a helper that's just right for him. Created the marriage covenant to be a blessing. But we all know people that have been wounded by marriage. Some of the worst stories of their life are a result of what they went through in their marriage, marriages that fell apart, that were just a res resulted in heartache and regret and pain misery, frustration, all kinds of terrible stories. That's not what God intended. That's not why he created marriage. He created it to be a blessing. But some people, man, I'll never get married again. Or I saw what my parents went through. I'll never get married. They don't see it as that. They think God gave them something that was less than a blessing, not because it wasn't a blessing, because people didn't apply the principles that make it and ensure that it's a blessing. When we handle marriage in line with the word of God, then we can experience the blessing God designed it to be. And it's the same way with everything else, including prayer. When we talk about prayer, and I'm sure you've heard it defined as just prayers, prayers, just talking to God. That's true to an extent, but you can either talk in a way that's effective or talk in a way that's ineffective. So that might be a fine beginning point to define prayer. What is prayer? Prayer is talking to God. That's okay if you build upon it, but if you leave it right there, you've not really helped anybody. You might have just set people up for frustration and disappointment. And that's how some people are in their prayer life. They've experienced disappointment in their prayer life. And the danger there is when people are disappointed in prayer, it's not just prayer that they're disappointed in. They're, they're disappointed in God. I've heard people share with me. You know, I don't want anything to do with God. I'm done with church. Why? Why are you so bitter? Why are you so angry? Why don't you want anything to do with God? Listen, I, I prayed about this situation for a year. Nothing happened. I'm done with God. I gave him a chance. I, I prayed for this marriage. I prayed for this thing to happen. Nothing. So I, there is no God as far as I'm concerned. But that, that disappointment didn't have to happen if they had known how to effectively, how to effectively pray. 
It's not just talking. There is a way to, to talk that's effective and a way that's ineffective. Sometimes in marriages, to use that example again, people need help learning how to communicate in marriage. And it's not that the husband and wife don't know how to talk, that they can't form sentences, but the way that they're talking isn't, isn't helping the marriage, it's actually destroying the marriage. So they don't need a lesson on, here's what a verb is, here's how you make a sentence, here's how you make the sounds with your mouth. It's, it's not that. They, they, some of them are talking constantly, and it's actually a source of destruction, telling each other how lousy they are, I should have listened to my parents about you, they were right, you were just a disappointment. They're, they're constantly talking. It's not that they need to learn how to talk, it's that they need to learn how to talk in a way that gets them the results they desire and what they're experiencing is the exact opposite. The disciples in Luke chapter 11 in the first couple of verses are spending time with Jesus in prayer. And when Jesus was done praying, the disciples asked him, Jesus, would, would you teach us to pray like John taught his disciples to pray, it, it wasn't because they were unfamiliar with this concept of prayer. Jesus, when you, when you close your eyes and look up to heaven and talk, what, what are you doing? Do you have like an imaginary friend? Are you just like reciting things? They, they were familiar with, with prayer, but they understood when Jesus prays, it's different than we, when we pray. There's something about when he talks to God, it's like, it's like he's really communing with the Father. When he prays, the results we're seeing in Jesus' life, we don't see those results in our lives. There's something different about his prayer life. There, there's great power and wonderful results, and we're not seeing it. So Jesus, would you teach us to pray? Maybe that's how you feel in your prayer life, that you, you'd love to be a person of prayer, but it's just been aggravation, disappointment. You feel like you're spinning your wheels. You want to fully engage, but you've never seen any fruit from it. So there's always a part of you that's like, Man, what is the point of this? I'm trying the best I know how, but it doesn't feel like I'm ever making any progress. Well, when the disciples asked Jesus, Jesus was a good mentor. Jesus was a good teacher. He's still a good mentor. He's still a good teacher. So when they said, Jesus, something's off in my prayer life. Would you teach us? He began to teach them specifically how to pray in a way to get results. He said, when you pray, pray in this manner. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. He didn't say recite this prayer. He said pray in this manner. So he was giving them a model prayer that they could begin to use and break down in the elements contained in the Lord's prayer would provide them a guideline to become effective in their prayer life just like Jesus was effective in his prayer life. Great power and wonderful results. That, that's what we read in the book of James. That's what God wants for your prayer life. Not just religious ceremony, not just going through motions, great power and wonderful results. I love, when you find wonderful results in something, you love to do it. Amen. When you do something, you see, man, when I, whenever I do that, the results are absolutely wonderful. It's not going to be difficult to get you to do it again. So Jesus began to teach his disciples to pray in the Lord's Prayer. So over the next couple of weeks, we're going to look at the Lord's Prayer. We're going to learn how to pray. But for this morning... I'm going to flip over to, to Matthew chapter 6. In Matthew's account, before Jesus shares the Lord's Prayer, Matthew includes some other teaching building up to that point. And so I just want to take a couple of minutes and look at that this morning and just kind of lay the groundwork so next week, unless something changes, we can start digging in to the Lord's Prayer. So Matthew chapter 6.
starting in verse five, it says, and when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. We'll keep reading, but we'll just kind of take this verse by verse. The first warning before Jesus gets to this model prayer and teaching them the practical how-to of pray, how to pray, he begins by dealing with some heart issues and he starts saying, here's what you don't want to do. When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who when they pray, they go out on the street corners, they pray in the open. Now, as we look at these verses, it's important not just to take it at face value and make applications without getting down to the essence of what Jesus was really teaching. Was Jesus teaching that it was wrong to pray in the open, to pray in front of people? No, that's not, that's not the point of what he was saying. So we've got to look in context of all of his teaching and the life of Jesus. We know stories of where, where Jesus often would pray out in the open, among people, in front of people. The disciples obviously heard, heard him pray. So that's why they asked him, teach us to pray like you do. So he's not saying don't pray in front of people. He's talking about the motive of prayer. Don't pray like the hypocrites. He's getting to the motive because when they pray, and that's what hypocrite means. Hypocrite means to be a pretender. It's an acting term. That when you're, you're pretending to be somebody that you're not, like in a play. So they would pretend that they cared about connecting with the Father. They would pretend that they cared about the requests that they were making and what they were saying in prayer, but that was, it was all fake. What they really cared about was earning esteem in the eyes of men. They were off in their motives. So when we go to the Lord in prayer, Jesus is saying one of the things that we need to guard is our motives. Do we really care about going to God and making a connection with him? Do we really care about the things that we're bringing before him? Or are we just going through the emotions? Is it just kind of a religious thing to make us feel better about ourselves or to impress people around us? Are we being a hypocrite, just trying to build esteem in the eyes of other people? And prayer is one of the things in the church world that if you start talking about how you pray, you, you know, prayer is important. We talk a lot about prayer. You can impress people by talking about your prayer life, right? And people will, will do that. You can talk about prayer and your motives can be off and we've got to guard our heart and our motives. People talk about how they love prayer, let you know that they're a prayer warrior. You know, I'm a prayer warrior, right? It's my ministry, it's what I do, I pray. Pray for several hours a day. Maybe they're just sharing that with you, but maybe they're trying to impress you and you can impress people along those lines. Motives can get off when we talk about prayer in the church world because prayer is so highly esteemed that you attach that word to almost anything and people give you a pass. A lot of times in the church, we gossip about people. And you just say, hey, this is just a prayer request, just so you can be praying. You see, she's pregnant, right? Well, let me tell you what's going on. <laughs> so you can pray, so you can pray, right? And so you, it, the, the motive is wrong. We attach prayer and say, okay, as long as, we, as long as it's a prayer request, and I guess we can say anything. Jesus is saying, when we talk about prayer, when we go to the Lord in prayer, you've got to guard your heart, guard your motives. You know, even as we go into this time of, of fasting and prayer, we've got to guard our motives. We're not, we're not fasting and prayer to impress people. That's far too low of a goal to, to achieve, to impress people. Jesus says, you can do that if you want. Those hypocrites, they can do that, but they've received all the reward they'll ever receive. When you want to pray, if you want great power and wonderful results, that's one thing. If you just want to impress people, you can do that, but that's all you'll ever get. That's too low for me. I want great power. I want wonderful results. I want to grow in intimacy with the Lord. As we spend time fasting and prayer, it's not to impress anyone. You don't need to let people know at work tomorrow, shuffling around at nine o'clock because you missed breakfast. If I seem a little off today, 
starting 21 days of fasting and prayer. Just so you know, just so you know. We don't have to keep it like high-level security confidential either. You can let people know if you need to. But we're not doing this to impress people. And once that becomes, Jesus is warning us, once that becomes your aim, you've really disarmed prayer for what it ought to be. You've just removed the power and the wonderful results because your motive is off. Our motive is important when we pray. It's about connecting with the Father, about bringing about his will on the earth. Next verse. But you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. So again, Jesus is getting at the heart, at the motive. It's not about every time that you pray, you need to be alone. Some translations say go into your closet alone. He's not describing the only environment where you can commune with the Lord. You don't have to be in a closed closet, kneel down next to your shoes in order to spend time with the Lord. Again, there's lots of examples of Jesus spending time praying out in the open. So that's not what he's saying. He's talking about having purity of heart, sincerity of heart. That God, this is just about me talking with you, not trying to to gain an advantage or manipulate people or let people try to get them to think that I'm spiritual and pious and more in love with you. It's not about any of those things. He's talking about purity of heart. So it doesn't have to be alone in a closet. However, that being said, it's wonderful to have corporate times of prayer. We'll do a bunch of that over the next three weeks. But you also need to have time where it is just you and the Lord alone. Whether it's a closet or a bedroom or out in the woods or in your car or wherever it is, to have time where it's just you alone with the Lord. When I pray alone, I may be more self-conscious than most people are. But I I get paranoid about people overhearing me because I'm aware of this and I know my tendency. I don't want to have any false motives. I don't want to be worried about somebody thinking I'm silly or dumb because they overheard what I was saying to the Lord as I'm pouring out my heart. I want a secret place. So I'll I'll go to a part of my house. Sometimes I'm not even comfortable with that. I'll go outside if the weather's nice, far away from my house and walk around and pray. So I I can laugh, I can cry, I can shout, I can say whatever I want. And it's just me and the Lord. And I don't have to worry about anybody hearing me. If I pray in my office, I've got a little white noise machine outside my office door to try to hide behind. I'll put worship music on real loud. Just, I, I don't want anyone to hear. I just want that secret place, that time alone with the Lord. And you need that. You need time just to pour out your heart, to spend time listening, to push away distractions, to shut off your phone, to get in the secret place with, with the Lord. He's not saying that's the only way that you can pray. We can pray together, but that is an important place to carve out, to have time where it's just you and the Lord. So I don't know what that looks like for you. You got to find a place, find a time, find a way where you can get alone. It's just you and the Lord and says the father who sees what's done in secret will reward you will reward you openly. But the point of these first couple of verses, Jesus is dealing with the heart and with motives and having sincerity and purity when we come to the Lord in prayer. The next verse, verse seven. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Now, again, we wanna get to the essence of what Jesus is saying. Because you can read this and come away with when you pray, don't, don't make the same request twice. Don't repeat yourself when you pray. But is that what Jesus is really saying? 
Because you can read times where Jesus prayed the same prayer multiple times. In Matthew chapter 26, when Jesus was in the garden, he's praying, Father, not my will, but your will, your will be done. If it's possible for this cup to pass from me, when he's praying that prayer, you can read it. It records that he prayed that same thing three different times. So if it was just repeating yourself in prayer, then, then Jesus was violating his own teaching. We know that didn't happen. So that, that's not what he's getting at when he says, don't make vain repetitions. He's making a point. He says, don't make vain repetitions like the heathen do. Why? Because they think that they'll be heard because of their many words. So what he's really dealing with is the mindset because they think, the way that they think about prayer is that they're gonna be heard on the basis of something that's not the basis of what you're heard on. So he's talking about mindset and he's talking about where our faith is when we pray. That in false religions, people will think that they have to earn their way to be heard by whatever God that they're praying to that they've, they've got to, by their many words or some other fashion, earn their way to be heard. And he's saying, you've got to guard against that. Remember the story of Elijah and the prophets of Baal when they had the, the showdown, I think in 1 Kings chapter 18, where they're calling down fire from heaven. And the prophets of Baal take the, the greater part of the day just crying out to their gods, trying to get them to answer. They even start cutting themselves. What are they doing? They're trying to earn their God to respond. They're trying to, to position themselves. In a way. Haven't we earned this? Look at the way that we're suffering. And that might be the way people that serve false gods function, but really it's just the way that religion functions. And we can allow that to to creep into our walk with the Lord. That we go to God in prayer and we think that the basis of him hearing us is because I've earned it in some fashion. That my faith isn't really in him, my faith is in me. God, haven't I earned you? I've been so good. Look at my Bible reading chart. Look, look how, how well I've behaved. Look what I've, look what I've given. Look what I've done. Look how much I've suffered. We might not slice ourselves like the prophets of Baal, but God, you see my situation. You see how bad things have been for me at work. And God cares about those things, but he doesn't answer prayer in response to those things. That's not where Bible faith comes from. The God, God hears us not on the basis of how well you pray, how much you pray, how eloquent you pray. Ultimately, the basis of it, the Bible says that we can come before him with confidence and boldness. Why? We come to the throne of God confidently and boldly. Why? Because we have a high priest, Jesus who shed his own blood and then took that blood into the most holy place in heaven and opened up a way for us to come to the Father with confidence and boldness. Not, not because of you or me, but because of the mercy of God, because of the love of God and the grace of God, because of the sacrifice of Jesus. That's the basis that I think I'm heard, not because of the way that I pray, not because of the way that I behave, but because of the goodness of God. And it matters what your faith is attached to because God responds to faith. You can't just have general generic faith, it's got to be attached to something. And if we want to have Bible faith, then Bible faith has to be attached to the Bible. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. It's from the Bible that we learn that a way has been opened for us to come confidently and boldly. And when you make requests, you've got to make those requests. Know that you're heard. Know how to state your case. Why should God hear you? Why are you able to make that request? God wants you to state that case and bring it before him. That's what helps build our faith. Listen to 1 John chapter 5, verse 14. Now this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. If we ask according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. We can be effective in prayer when we know that we're praying according to his will and we know his will because it's told to us in God's word. 
So when you find, when you have a request to make, first of all, is it in line with the word of God and the will of God? Otherwise, you can't have any real expectation that God is, is going to hear you and answer that prayer. And people pray all kinds of crazy things. I've heard stories of people praying like, I, I don't want my wife, I want that guy's wife. Father, would you please, please give me that, that guy's wife? Yeah, God's not gonna hear that prayer. That, that goes against his word. That's not his will. So it's nonsense. So you've got to know God's, God's word and attach your prayers, build faith to that if you want to be effective. That's what Jesus is teaching. Before we get into this model prayer, you've got to guard your heart, know what your motives are, and know what your faith is really attached to. You're not being heard. The heathens think that they're heard because of, of the, the mantras and their many words. You need to know that you're heard because of the goodness of God, the grace of God, the blood of Jesus, and based on, on the word of God. Isaiah 43, verse 26 God says this, put me in remembrance. Let us contend together. State your case that you may be acquitted. He's inviting people. He says, put me in remembrance of my word. Remind me of what I've said to you. Remind me of my promises. Not because God is forgetful and he can't remember. Like, what, what did I say again? I should have bought one of those Bibles because I, I should have written this stuff down. He, he wants you to come with faith and expectancy with his promises to remind him, God, here's what your word says. God, I'm coming to you on the basis of your word. So when you make requests, when you pray over these next 21 days or any time in prayer, Jesus is, is teaching us how to prep for prayer. And one of the things is know, know why you have a right to ask for what you're asking for. Why, why do you have any business asking for God to intervene in that situation? Because if you don't know why you have a right to ask it, you're not gonna have any faith attached to that request. Put him in remembrance. Find a, find a Bible verse. Find a story from God's word where he did something similar, where it's a promise from his word. God, your word says to ask for the lost as an inheritance. God, that's why I'm asking to reach this community, not for my own pride, not so we can have a big church, because your word says I can ask you for the nations and you'll give us the lost as an inheritance. That's why I'm asking you to find Bible verses, whatever your requests are, attach a verse and present that. It says state your case, build your case as you go to the Lord. So know your motives. Examine your motives, examine your heart. Is it pure, is it sincere? Why do you have any business coming to God in the first place? And we'll read one more verse. Verse eight, therefore do not be like them, for your father knows the things you have need of before you ask him. Don't be like them. He says, your father knows what you need even before you ask him, which tells us a lot of things tells us, one, when it comes to prayer, God's not just interested in, in stuff. He's interested in you. He wants relationship. He wants you to come to him because he wants you. He's after you. He wants fellowship. It also lets us know when we come to the Lord, we're not informing God of our needs. He, he already knows that. He already knows what you need. But it's important that you come to him because God has given you free will and he respects that will that he, does, he knows what you need. He doesn't just give it to you. He waits for you to come and ask because he respects your will. There's a system that he's set up. There's a way that prayer works. Even to the point of your eternal destination, God respects your will. The Bible says God's not willing that any would perish, but there will be people that perish. He doesn't enforce his will because he's set things up that you've got to ask. You've got to request, ask Jesus into your heart. Receive him as Lord and, and Savior. Even though that's what he wants for you, he knows what you need. He knows people need a Savior, but they've got to respond to his mercy, respond to his goodness for them to actually be saved. God knows what you need even before you ask. 
And then Jesus begins to teach the Lord's Prayer, which we'll get into next week. But what, what an amazing thought to know that God is so concerned about you, so intimately aware of every detail of your life that he knows exactly what you need. He knows what you need even when you're not sure of what you need. Even when you know you need something, God, I don't even, I, I want this marriage to be better. I want to do a better job at work. I, I know something's off with me and my kids. I don't even know what it is. God knows what you need even when you don't know what you need. So you can go to him, not just to make requests, you can go to him to find out what requests you should be making. God knows what you need even before you ask. He knows everything that you need right now. Whatever situation is going on in your life, he knows where you need breakthrough and how that breakthrough can come about. He knows how you can obtain the joy and the peace and the fulfillment. He knows what your next steps ought to be, what things you shouldn't do how you ought to handle that thing that's been weighing on your mind. He knows what you, he knows. He knows exactly what you need. And he wants you to come to him. He wants you to come to him. So we're gonna learn how to effectively come to him. Well, that's this week's message. Thanks for joining us. To stay connected with us throughout the week, make sure you follow us on Instagram and Facebook. You can also watch previous week's services on our YouTube page.